In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the True Life Podcast. I hope everybody's having a beautiful day. I hope the sun is shining. I hope the birds are singing and the wind is at your back. And more than that, I hope you know that in your moments of, of consequence, in your moments of dark despair, that the world is conspiring to help you. If you just look around, if you take a deep breath, I promise you, you will see a sign that says to keep moving. Ladies and gentlemen, I have an incredible show for you today. A warm welcome, everyone, to our distinguished guest, Mark Viola. Mark's incredible journey is a testament to the power of curiosity and exploration. Having called India and China home for eight transformative years, he's delved into the heart of emerging markets, driven by a relentless passion for technology and innovation. From leading, from leading digital teams at Tencent, China's tech giant, to shaping experiential digital campaigns at Ogilvy's Digital Lab, Mark has carved a unique path. His work extends beyond boundaries, aligning with the profound missions of Myco Stories, ladies and gentlemen. Myco Stories is an organization dedicated to harnessing the potential of fungi, particularly mushrooms and mycelium, for sustainable solutions. With a focus on research, education, and collaboration, Myco Stories seeks to address pressing ecological, societal, and spiritual challenges. From growing meat alternatives to creating new medicines, sustainable biomaterials, environmental remediation, and expanding our collective consciousness. Fungi are at the heart of transformative solutions. Today, we are privileged to have Mark here with us, a trilingual globetrotter with a deep commitment to innovation for a greater good. His experiences in multiple countries and rich multilingual background reflect his innate curiosity towards diverse cultures and his desire to drive positive change. Mark, welcome to the True Life Podcast. Thanks for being here today. Wow, George, what an intro. I'm I'm feeling all that positive Hawaiian energy come straight through the Ethernet cables under the Pacific coast and where I am in Japan today. You know, it's amazing what can transpire through those lines. You know, on some level, maybe we're connecting like the mycelium does. Even though we're so far away, I feel like you can really 
look into someone's eyes and their spirit a little bit, even though it's through this box that we're looking through. I can feel it, man. I'm stoked you're here today, man. Thank you. My pleasure. My pleasure. Fantastic. You know what? It seems interesting to me the way in which we move through life and your life traveling around the globe, being part of this giant technical revolution at the time you were, and now kind of branching off into this new chapter of the Mark Viola journey. Maybe you could talk about how that happened and why you decided to make this move. And has it always been a part of you or maybe you can give us some backstory there? Yeah. So I guess I was fortunate to grow up in a variety of countries. My dad used to work in software. Um, and so lived in Belgium, Germany, and the U S before I was 10, uh, French originally, but you know, I was kind of lucky to have this, uh, uh, baby glob troder in me already. Um, right. And then as soon as I had the opportunity at university to uh, to work abroad, to do half of my master's study abroad, uh, I picked India because I was studying business and what better place to learn about business than in India itself. So, um, so yeah, in India, it was the beginning of, I guess, a truly you know, transformative, eye-opening, however cliche that might, might sound, like it was really like in your face, yeah. um, you know, cultural difference to, you know, the nice European organized way of life. And and I loved it. Um, and uh, yeah, I wasn't ready to go home just yet after my, my, my uh, year living in, in New Delhi. And uh, had an opportunity to work straight out of university in Shanghai, went to wow. check it out. Um, and it was in a time where China was much more open than it is today. And so it really fe it really felt like going into the wild, wild east where everything <laughs> is possible, you know? And, uh, you know, I was in my early 20s, spent seven years there and, you know, um you didn't have to no one really cared about the university studies you did it was like yeah. what do you know how to do can you drive this with a passion and then go ahead and if you're good at it then you'll you'll have a lot of opportunities that unfold like that and i i really love that which is yeah it, it strays miles away from the france um you know, kind of fairly linear education to professional career path. And I, I really love that. It gave me a sense, I think I still carry today, that anything is possible if you put your heart into it, if you surround yourself with the right people. And um, so, yeah, ended up, you know, being the only foreigner working in the Tencent Shanghai office, uh, close to a thousand, you know, a thousand Chinese people and me. Uh, I completely flanked my Chinese interview. I literally could not speak Chinese. They called me back. I was like, are you sure you're calling the right guy? Um, and, and they still gave me the job. They say, you'll learn on the, you know, you'll learn on the job. And, uh, and I learned Mandarin in three years and, uh, worked on some super exciting projects, uh, from gaming to, uh, instant messenger which was uh, the, the the text before the the socials took it all uh and uh yeah it was even in early brainstorming sessions on wechat as well before it was launched wow. so incredible incredible adventure that then uh, you know opened a lot of doors for me so very thankful for that and um yeah i guess there is a certain je crois about being, um, being 
uh, a stranger in a strange land. Um, so I've always enjoyed um, being out of my comfort zone, and I think you learn a lot from it. Um, and I think you know the one of the many ways to do it is by living in a place which you don't call home and trying to call it home. Um, and that's what I've been doing, um, yeah, for, for the past 18 years or so now. It's wonderful. It, I think it speaks volumes of how people deal with uncertainty. When you begin at a young age to become familiar with territory that is unfamiliar, you, you're able to chart your course without the hesitancy that may be conditioned into you if you live this linear path of like being conditioned at a school from kindergarten to 12th grade. You live in this culture. You do this. You married us. <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting to think about from that aspect of it, man. So I guess one of the questions that I've I've been thinking about for some time is in your belief that brands can be agents of change through technology, what underlying philosophical principles guide your vision of leveraging technology for positive impact on communities? That's a big question to think know, for a lot giant, of time, George. Um, <laughs> what else would I, I get mean, to talk to you, man? I got to ask the good I know, questions. I know, I know, I know. So, look, I think, um, first of all, the, the thing that drew me in technology was uh, in the early noughties, um, technology, I believed, was still very much about let's let's solve problems. Yeah. You know, how do we how do we connect people? How do we um, give them a more comfortable life? How do we uh, reduce the amount of time that they need for a given task so that they can enjoy more of, you know, family life or uh, anything else and um and i was really in you know driven by that idea ah, cool okay we're making people's life more enjoyable um and in the in the short you know i'd say in, in the 10 years i worked in um tech roles i've i've really seen the the shift from that to how do we monetize people's yep. attention uh, especially working, you know, I used to work for a big tech giant, um, and um, you know, there was, you know, definitely the the um, the higher ideals are probably less perceptible there than if you're in a small startup that actually has like very committed founders and very visionary founders and so forth. So, you know, that was the first thing that uh, actually pushed me to. Um, <laughs> you know, completely reroute myself, reorientate myself, seeing that, you know, the, the, the boat was kind of losing its direction. I was like, actually, you know, I don't really relate to that. And, uh, and uh, I used to develop a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of very innovative, interactive campaigns for different uh, large CPG companies, multinationals, and, um, you know, the, the Problem is, it was all, yeah, it was all a bit too shallow and maybe just too much money spent uh, for very little tangible results of yeah. like, hey, guys, like, are we impacting our communities in a in a positive way or in any way, you know, like in any way. <laughs> um, and um, and yeah, so 
that kind of pushed me to actually dedicate my whole life, which is what I've been doing for the past uh, 10 years, uh, focusing on, you know, my motto is, okay, what is the end consequence of my action in mm -hmm. the company I'm working for or in the project I'm working as a consultant for? And, you know, this needs to resonate. And if it doesn't, it means you're not really working on the right thing here. Um, and so going back to your question, I think that's something that, you know, not only the employees within either tech or big brands or small brands uh, should be asking them themselves in their day-to-day -day work, like, okay, so sure, we still need to sell shoes, um, but how are we selling shoes? How are we making these shoes? Um, and the more people ask themselves that question, um, you know, the more the big brands, the bigger companies that really have the power to impact the lives of most, more than governments, you know, yeah. um, the more they become agents of change. So they're more respected for what they're doing, the more they'll be um, particularly attractive from a younger workforce, which is actually really looking to working with purpose and impact yeah. but um but it's hard to find these jobs and it's hard to also uh make out what is uh honest action focused uh csr or you know cor corporate social responsibility uh and then what is just a another um feel-good campaign uh to um, put a little greenwashing coat and uh, keep on doing uh, like like we've been doing for for many years. So um, I think you know I, I worked in NGOs and uh, big profit businesses and then startups and you know and we'll always need NGOs because there is community or environmental work that simply can't turn a profit. Or it's it's so difficult that actually you know um, very few people will want to do it, um, but there's so much of uh, work which is currently done by an NGO, and the problems with an NGO is you know their balance sheet, their um, financial forecast. They go a year and then they stop because they have no idea what the next 24 months in terms of cash flow will be. Um, but a business has that. So a business can really look into the future and plan for the future um, when it comes to implementing uh, strategies that, sure, will bring profit, but also will bring positive impact on communities and the environment that they're actually producing their services or products into. Um, so yeah, you know, I've been uh, consulting for a variety of companies, helping them in that journey, um, and and it's definitely what has you know driven driven the the force that inhabits me and making me feel good when I when I wake up in the morning to to, to work, um, and um, yeah, and I, I I feel there is some change, but um, you know, it's uh, it's slow 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 coming too slow coming to my my belief yeah it's it's fascinating to hear the way in which the evolution of of profit takes over and, and sometimes the changing definition of profit like profit can mean 
hey, we're making this much money on this much project. Or profit could mean, hey, look at this community beginning to flourish. And we start looking at some of your one of your new projects, Myco Stories. I'm amazed at what can be thought of in a diverse group of individuals that make the world better. It's almost like a, a community is like its own little startup. And if you get an artist, you sprinkle in an artist over there and a tech mm. guy over here and maybe an engineer over here. Like th there's some real limitless possibilities that begin to pop up and people start seeing the world differently. Has that, have you noticed that in some of the places you've been and seeing these communities that you're beginning to build? Yeah. I mean, I think that's what really drives me <laughs> to this incredible space is um, as I mentioned before, as we were kind of prepping for this uh, this interview, um, what I think is fascinating is that it's such a rich and diverse space that brings together artists, researchers, uh, citizen scientists, foragers, um, and everyone's happy to answer each other, reply emails, pick up you know, quick, quick phone call, uh, cooperate on some projects. And, you know, that's, that's the essence of a community is, okay, well, you know, you've got this knowledge, I've got this knowledge, we all agree that actually, we don't know much. Um, <laughs> so how about we start develop, developing some some synergies? And, you know, I wasn't in the in the Silicon Valley in, in the 80s. Uh, but I wonder if, you know, uh that was a little bit like that as well you know where the um, bosniak and and uh all of the other you know kind of probably talking to each other and you know not necessarily being like hey, hey wait a minute like mm, sorry this is uh confidential um so yeah and i i've i've really enjoyed so i um the the last few months I've been traveling, meeting a lot of these researchers, artists, entrepreneurs in the field of fungi. And these can be uh, an artist in Indonesia who uh, has been working the last 10 years with his uh, sole body of work being fungi, both micro and macro. Uh, it can be a, a research project in university developing uh, new ways to 3D print mycelium yeah. composite scaffolds. Um, it can be a uh, an expert Japanese uh, uh, mushroom culture writer who's uh, just published a book on you know the importance of uh, mushrooms in the Japanese culture. So all of these people have one thing in common is that they all understand and share this, uh, you know, deep respect for nature that comes from uh, mushrooms. Yeah. And, and it comes from the realizations that, you know, they, they play such an important role in uh, the development of ecosystems on our yes. planet. You know, the oldest mushroom is 2.5 billion years old. Uh, so talk about a story of adaptability and resilience yeah. right there, you know? Yeah. Um, and yet that's also one of the things that kind of drew me in. They've been around forever. They're responsible for so much. You've got some right now in your gut, on your body. You're probably going to have some on your, on your next pizza. Um, yeah. And, uh, but yet, you know, I was, taught so little about them and i'm like wait a minute is this the biggest conspiracy theory ever <laughs> like 
Um, and, um, and so that's what really drew me in. And as I learn about them, I think as everyone, the more seasoned, the Postamets, the Merlin Sheldrakes, yeah. uh, you know, you know, they're fully convinced, but there's, you know, thanks to them, they're bringing a whole sweep of, uh, you know, new enthusiasts that are discovering through these fascinating organic beings that, um, you know, there's so much more we can learn from nature. We can inspire yeah. ourselves for nature. And so through this, there is a little bit for everyone. You're an artist. Here you go. Not only you've got a new material to play with, but you know countless metaphors for creative expression. You're an entrepreneur, no problem. There's a uh, hundred thousand mushrooms that we know. Sorry, fungi we know, uh, but there's an estimated two point five billion, uh, two point five million uh, that are yet to be discovered. So you know you're a research, you're a researcher. You're working on. Uh, DNA, uh, DNA sequencing, like, you know, you know, you've got a, a lifetime of work ahead of you. <laughs> and uh, during this work, you might uncover, you know, incredible cures for diseases such as cancer, diabetes, you name it, that that research is happening right now. Um, and obviously, if you're the holder to that research, that's going to effectively uh, save millions of people for dying or potentially reduce our dependence on animal protein and all the kind of um, uh, animal cruelty that, that goes with it, um, uh, then then you can actually turn a pretty hefty profit from that. So, hey, entrepreneurs, why don't you join in as well? <laughs> you know, there's, uh, And so, yeah, that's what I find fascinating. Um, and because the space is so young, yeah. Um, you know, apart from the Stamets and the Sheldrakes and the niche uh, researchers here and there, you know, I would say there's it's only been about 10 years that we've seen uh, an increasing amount of businesses and startups that have been um, kind of launched in this space. And uh, there's, you know, if we take the fungi protein um, industry, for example, which is another form of alternative protein, super popular, big business already. Um, you probably only have one commercial success uh, in the mycoprotein industry versus about a hundred startups that have sprouted over the, the last 10 years. So there is so much more to do to support and enable these entrepreneurs to have access to the right resource resources, the right investments in order to, you know, try and deliver on the promise that they've made to uh, themselves and to some early stage investors. And so Myco Stories is really trying to not only in the alternative protein space, but in any innovative application of fungi, trying to develop an ecosystem that was, that will effectively better support the foundation of a thriving new sector. And, uh, and to do this, I believe you need loads of connections. You need information to be flowing just as it flows through 
the wonderful mycelium network. <laughs> and, um, and you need a lot of education and awareness building because yeah. regulators don't fully understand it. It's, it's still complex. Uh, I mean, it's very complex. Um, investors, you know, uh, they receive about a hundred pitch, pitch decks a week. So how do we make them already be a bit more accultured with, uh, the difference between, you know, this or that, um, fungi innovation, or how does it fit in an existing, uh, for impact investment strategy. So that's what micro stories is trying to do. Um, and we do this by connecting people, by showcasing the work of incredible, uh, projects and entrepreneurs in the space. And, uh, and yeah, it's it's what's been uh, driving me over the last uh, twelve months, and uh, and there's you know, world worlds to do and many more people to connect. I love it. It sounds to me like a story of abundance. You know, like there's an abundance of opportunity just waiting for us if we have the imagination to to do it, or if we have the courage to just push through the comfort zone a little bit. There's a really cool story I want to share with you about. My friend in Maui, Paul Lapau, if you listen to this, man, I love you and your team doing the micro remediation over there. There was a giant fire that took down Lahaina. And it's it's a it's a when I say tragedy, I mean that in the in the most powerful sense. So many people lost their life, an entire town gone. But what people don't know after that fire is that a lot of the buildings there had lead in them. They had all these toxins. They were built a long time ago. And so there was no over an EPA or there was no real you know, sort of guidelines to build stuff. And so now they're sitting on like a re like a thousand pounds of ash that has toxic toxins in there, getting ready to flow into the ocean during the rainy season. My friend Paul and his team, they have used these mycelium socks. You know, they use the mycelium mm. in there. They, they pack them on his farm and they're using like a, you know, like the charred embers of trees to be a filter. And they have got like, they have the ability to create miles of this sock with the mycelium being a natural filter and an incredible new way to filter water. But when it comes to government, hey, wait a minute, this isn't on the books. I don't know if we can do this. And, and like, they're fighting this fight. It's like, what are you talking about? You don't know if you can do it. The whole community's behind it. We're building it now. We're bringing in teams of people from all over to build this. And you guys don't have it on the books. You know what yeah. I mean? It's yeah. the money's, we can't release the money. What do you mean you can't release the money? But when I, when I hear you speak about it and when I hear about p innovative people coming together and finding ways to use this new technology to micro-remediate or have opportunity, it's happening right now, Mark. Right in front of, right, right across yeah. the other island from me, man. It's so impactful yeah. and beautiful to think about, man. I mean, Paul Stamets was working and actually patenting these micro-filtration uh, strategies in the, in the 80s. So it's been 40 years that we've actually known we can do this. And, you know, he proved like a 90% reduction in the presence of uh, E. coli, the, the bacteria. And, you know, it's been out there, but uh, there's, you know, on I've, I've mapped out the whole ecosystem of fungi innovation companies on microstories.com. Um, and you will identify that there is, so few companies that are actually investing in micro-remediation practices, bioremediation practices, because um, fungi, you know, yeah. they like to be well surrounded, so they work really well with other types of bacteria. So, you know, it's not about, it's not all about the mushrooms. <laughs> um, 
and uh, yeah, there's only, uh, you know, I'd say less than five companies globally that are developing commercial projects leveraging uh, fungi to depollute, remove toxins from our soils or our, our waterways. Uh, it's it's still, you know, it's it's so small. How can it be? You know, so you know, let's let's get more let's get more research money regulators to understand the power of this thing and uh, and uh, yeah, let's let's scale this up. You know, yeah, I do know. I'm excited for it. I when we look at micro stories, and, and you've spoken a bit about how it's focused on harnessing the transformative power of mushrooms and and positive impacts, but maybe you could delve into the philosophical implications of using nature's resources to address ecological, societal, and economic challenges. Mm. Small question, George. <laughs> you know how I do it, Mark. Another one, another one. Um, look, I think um, actually very recently I was working on uh, an eco-lodge uh, in West Papua in Indonesia, and uh, the person who set up this project, um, when he arrived on the land, which is literally a, a little cove between a pristine coral reef and a primary rainforest, just setting the backdrop. Yeah, beautiful, man. Beautiful. I love um, it. So when he arrived, you know, it was just like, you know, a shack. And, um, and he told me this beautiful thing, um, which resonates to one of the founding principles of permaculture, which is, you know, he arrived, he sat, and he watched the land understand how it worked and what it wanted. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like based on that, that he started understanding, you know, he sat, you know, he didn't meditate for six months, obviously. He, right. he, he was on preparing other aspects of his project, but he, you know, he looked at, you know, the way uh, the rainwater was flowing. He looked at you know, where were certain types of plants growing better than others? And it's really by taking to nature, looking at nature and trying to work with it as opposed to impose, you know, the human dictatorship on it, um, that five years later, he has, you know, probably one of the most lush, rich, permaculture garden uh, which is nestled between this primary rainforest um, it's called Raja Ampat Eco Lodge check it out um, and you know I think that's a beautiful and simple example of why we should really focus on bio-inspired solutions yeah. um, to you know to rethink a lot of our supply chains you know and there is a movement, a growing movement, and it's a, um, you know, I think it's not only gathering attention, but investment. Um, and uh, it obviously still needs one more, much more, you know, like I, I often get asked the question, oh, but, you know, why, why can't we match the prices or the characteristics of polystyrene packaging or plastics with mycelium-based composites? You know, the reality is in much of our developed economies, uh, we spend the last 80 years with the brightest mind, hundreds of thousands of them, optimizing the shit of a non-bio-inspired economy. 
Yeah. And so we actually need that amount of headspace to do the exact same thing, focusing on bio-inspired solutions. Uh, and so there's still a lot of time. And, you know, obviously I could say we don't have a lot of time, but, you know, Mother Earth will be fine. Yeah. You know, yep. we won't be, but she'll be fine. Um, and so, yeah, I get I get very stimulated when I speak to other people in the space that are, you know, uh, similarly to me, trying to either they're in the trenches developing the companies themselves that are focusing on, you know, looking at algae, looking at mm -hmm. uh, the way um, animals migrate, for example, to yeah. um, inspire themselves and inspire, or, you know, there's a, there's a fantastic fungal uh, analogy as well that, you know, um, uses where uh, Tokyo researchers um, effectively looked at slime molds uh, to design, even though they had designed the Tokyo Metro already, but they, they re replicated a Tokyo yeah. map where they put like the largest uh, areas of Tokyo as little oat flakes, and uh, then they put a slime mold in the in the center of uh, the agar plate that they were right. working with. And you know, within 24 hours, this slime mold had recreated uh, an almost perfect representation of what the Tokyo Metro looks like. And uh, you know. This, I think this is a fantastic analogy of like, hey, let's let's use net nature, let's inspire ourselves with nature to uh, think about uh, regenerative design, think about urban planning, um, think about transforming our our, our food system, um, yeah. and uh, and the great thing about it, and it's really what you know, riles me up every time I I get to speak or I see a mushroom on the forest floor yeah. is nature is super fascinating and it's like you know it's yeah it, it the more you learn about nature about understanding ecosystems the more every time you take a walk in the forest on the beach in the park um suddenly you're you're not just a a tourist but you're actually uh an active component of the this ecosystem you're interacting with and you understand what you're uh, what you're seeing and you know it's um yeah i guess it's a little bit like going to china and speaking the language and uh understanding that when people are yelling to each other it's not because they're rude or it's not <laughs> because they're you know having yeah. a fight but it's just you know they're actually having a very passionate conversation but you know you, you you don't understand it so you're just like walking by and uh and kind of missing uh, the 90% of the sunken, interesting aspect of what is actually happening here and what's happening uh, being beneath our feet when we're walking in, in, in that forest. So yeah, let's, let's get inspired because uh, not only it's, uh, it's full of potential solutions, but it's actually super interesting as well. I love it. It speaks to the idea of awareness. I, I was reading an, an article a while back. I forgot where I read it in. But there was a college that opened up and they had opened up this beautiful new wing of campus and they were, they had all the buildings done and the guy, the co the concrete contractor was like, right, where do you want these sidewalks? And the guy's like, wait, we're not going to pour the sidewalks. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, we're not going to pour them until after the first semester. 
And after the first semester, there's all these walkways where the kids had gone, you know, and it's the same way the slime mold creates the network under there, you know? <laughs> I love it. So smart. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to think that when, when you say that it's an ecosystem, I think taking mushrooms or, or just sitting in nature gives you the understanding that you're part of that ecosystem. And you can watch the ecosystem unfold all around you. The same example you gave of that gentleman who was watching the land. So yeah. too can you watch nature unfold by your own habits in some ways. You know, mm -hmm. it, it's interesting to think about supply chains and 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 the way I often wonder if you know when you get a globe and there's all like the supply chains on that little globe and it shows you all they're going. It kind of seems like a neural network to me in a way. Mm. And you yeah. know, wouldn't it be interesting? Of course, we're going to build it like it's in our heads. Like that's how it's in our heads. We're going to build it out there. <laughs> it's yeah. crazy to think about yeah. the fractal nature of it. What do you think? Is that too crazy? No, I mean, uh, I'm I'm all with you, George. You you know where to find me. I do know where to find you, man. I'm excited you're here. Let me see if I can pull out another giant question for you to all solve, right, solve the world's problems here. Hit me. Okay. Okay. The Michael fungi play a crucial role in sustaining ecosystems and have vast potential for sustainable solutions. How do you perceive the significance of fungi as architects of the natural world and agents of change in modern life? We've covered that a little bit, but agents of change in modern life, the mm. architects? Yeah, so, you know, as I mentioned, um, we believe that the, uh, the first plants on Earth were actually brought by a symbiosis between algae and mushrooms. Um, probably around 2.5 billion years ago, where, you know, kind of morphing into um, lichens um, okay. and uh, lichens and mushrooms having uh, an incredible capacity to develop enzymes that can break down solid rock. There's very few organic things that can actually yeah. do that, right? It's crazy. Uh, and so through that process um, and being able to adapt to a very high CO2 environment a long time ago. Um, it, uh, it enabled the uh, apparition, you know, the, the, the first plants on our, on our planet. And, uh, and then the story of evolution keeps on unfolding and, uh, and mushroom obviously play a huge part because they help to decompose all of that, uh, mm -hmm. um, all of that, natural waste that sits on the on the forest floor um and so i think already there there are you know it's a beautiful story of them being the architects of life um yeah. and um you know it's not scientifically proven but i i generally love to uh, talk about uh terence mckenna's uh stone ape theory yeah. who you know i don't i don't believe it's necessarily too far stretched you know i think if you've had a if you've had a, a truly um you know life-changing psychedelic trip mm. uh might it be on on mushrooms on psilocybin mushrooms mm -hmm. on or other uh, psychedelic substances um you will remember something that happened to you and you'll remember it crystal clear 
and um, and you will understand that something happened in your brain in that instant um, that if happened repeatedly over a number of years, I believe could have the potential of, you know, yeah. providing a bigger or different type of awareness, especially in a brain yeah. where nothing much is happening. You know, yeah. if we're going back, I think Terence McKenna was looking at uh, uh, four, 500,000 years ago. <clears throat> so um, again, talk about the architects of life, human yeah. life as well. And, you know, even if it, even if his theory is correct or not, I, I, I think that uh, psilocybin mushrooms have still played their role yeah. in the development of uh, certain cultures and beliefs and uh, has shaped communities uh, in Northern Africa, yep. in uh, Latin America, in, in Russia. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, I, I think the fact of being able to, through uh, this organic substance, um, uh, having an elevator, uh, yeah. um, an elevated uh, state of being, uh, will definitely push you to take the right nature-inspired solutions, because generally it connects you to that, not, uh, not the opposite. So I think both in this kind of ethereal um, and um, spiritual way, yeah. uh, as much as, you know, the very tangible, actually, you know, they have been adapting with the changing environments um, of, of the last 2.5 billions of years, I believe, you know, they are kind of the un, unsung heroes of the evolution of, uh, of life on, on this planet. I love it. I, in so many ways, like when you talk about the ideas of McKenna or John Allegro's The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross, or you know, one of my favorite, I really like. I really like to listen to or read the books of of like Saint John of the Cross or Marseille <clears throat> Iliad and these people that these these mystics that have this mystical experience, and it's interesting that these incredible incidents that happen, like Marseille Iliad talks about the terror before the sacred and anybody who's found themselves at the height of a psychedelic trip knows what that is. Like, Oh, like you're in the presence of something so beautiful. You want to pee your pants, but you're afraid of it, but it's so beautiful. You know what I mean? And it's like, that is a spiritual experience. That is getting to touch the hand of God. That is the burning bush. That is where inspiration comes from. That is the ineffable. That is where, Oh my gosh, I'm part of this giant organism. And when you can have that in you, you can really be inspired to create great arts of work and dig down deep and find out what's beautiful about relationships. And I can't see, uh, and I, obviously I don't have the, a PhD or something to back up why I think they played a giant part in the idea of spirituality. But I think anybody who's found themselves in the midst of a second trip like that cannot deny that connection of like, you are part of this thing. And when we start looking at the words, like the, you know, in the Christian literature, they have like, you eat the Eucharist, you eat the flesh of God. Well, I think a mushroom is pretty close to the flesh of God. If you get the right one in there, you know, it's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. always beautiful, Definitely. man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, 
here's an idea about language. Like we've spoken about it a little bit when Terrence McKenna and mushrooms and somehow language, what do you think is going on when, if you're at a startup, you're trying to come up with a, a, a shared vision to create a product. If mm. you're in a, in a government, you're trying to come up with a shared vision for the people. And yeah. sometimes you can, that, that mushroom allows you to have that shared vision. What's going on here with language and building, whether it's ecosystem or products, there's a, there's a similar vein there, right? Yeah. Um, trying to dis- <laughs> decipher which, which angle to, to take on, the, on, the, on this question. <laughs> okay. Um, <clears throat> dial, dial it down for me again. So on the, in, a, in, a, in a heightened state of awareness, usually on yeah. mushrooms or fungi, I think you rub up against a situation that words can't describe. And I think that that is the same thing that happens when you come together with a startup. You have a vision, but you mm. can't describe it. So I think that those two things are similar and they can come out the same way, right? Like it's our job to bring together symbolically this vision and then create it in the community. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind um, is also what I found the most transformative um, under psychedelics is uh, the complete loss of ego. Yeah. Um, and I think that's in itself the most powerful experience someone can have. Yeah. Um, and it's transformative in so many ways. And generally, it pushes you to be so much, uh, <clears throat> so much kinder to yep. others and so much more relaxed about you know your own own purpose on on life and and i think in some way the startupper who is trying to talk about his vision who is uh stressing out about uh <clears throat> trying to get access to the right financing talk to the right people hire the right team um you know if he removes his ego out of the equation he's probably going to be able to i think achieve his mesh his mission in a Mm -hmm. more honorable way and uh yeah potentially a clearer mind yeah um you know uh i being an entrepreneur myself um i always have this voice in my head that's you know the voice of doubt you know, it's yeah. an, uh, the entrepreneur's worst enemy and it's always there. Um, and um, a, a wise friend of mine once told me, you know, stop listening to your head, just listen to your heart. Mm. And, uh, and I think the head is the ego speaking and you need to reduce that to as subtle a sound as you can yeah. to focus on whatever your mission is. And I think through that, you'll be able to communicate and articulate it in the clearest way possible. Um, and uh, I'm not saying, you know, yeah. have a macrodose of mushrooms before you enter your investor meeting, but, um, you know, maybe uh, once a year, have like yeah. a, a very good trip that, yep. you know, maybe mix this with some meditation. Yeah. Um, and uh, And you'll be a better man, better woman for it. Yeah, there's something to be said about the the perspective shift you get and the <clears throat> ego too. Like when when your ego is just hammering with you, you know, and you you just 
you seem there seems to be a misalignment when the ego is running the show, but yeah. psychedelics tend to to find a way to balance that. And that, I, what what do you think about the idea between balance and psychedelics? It seems that it does provide us a balance. So like, what is important? Maybe the reason I have all these health problems is because my life is out of balance. You know? Mm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's recentering yourself on yep. you know what you really need uh, in life and. Um, you know, and the things you need most, actually, they're fairly intangible. And um, they're about connecting yeah. with people in the flesh. They're about building valuable, supportive connections. Um, and obviously, there's a few, you know, material things out there to uh, support comfort. But I think, you know, the the increasing rates of uh, youth depression that you yeah. see um, in the West and in the East, yep. um, you know, I think it's because there's been an imbalance on what um, young people are focusing their time on trying to achieve or, yeah, trying to uh, surround themselves with, you know, so, you know, Social media is an amazing tool, uh, but it's a tool. And uh, once again, uh, it should be, you know, it can be used in a great way or a, a quite harmful way. Um, and, um, and I think the, yeah, the, the connections, the, again, the over exuberance of the ego on social media is a great <laughs> example of, you know, just drop the ego uh yeah. and drop your social media account or connect with it five minutes yeah or less every day um and uh and you'll you'll be better off for it i, I mean i yeah you know again you know it goes back to what i was saying about tech companies is like you know instagram is great but why does on my feed i i don't see any anything from my friends you know it's like it's it's like suggested this promoted yeah. that it's like i don't want all this so yeah. uh so i don't i just use it to basically put put the word out there showcase the heroes of the fungi innovation space and then i'm out you know you ain't getting more of my attention i wonder if Facebook or one of these social medias left alone could be like the slime mold on the agar plate of Tokyo. Like if we just put it up there and watch the way people connected, might that be the best way to set up like a social, obviously you might not make a ton of money at it if you're not suggesting stuff, but we might be able to learn from that. I bet you we could even look back at some of the first Facebook models and be like, look at all these people connecting. Isn't that wonderful? Like this is the people really coming together yeah. to share stuff, you know, before it became, look at my salad or before it became, look at my hot, fudge sunday over here it's interesting yeah. just to see how that plays out like that man it kind of blows my mind yeah i, I think unfortunately the harm is done to some extent <laughs> so yeah. like um we now have a preconceived notion of how you use a social network yeah and if you launch a social network without the likes it's just not going to do well mm. um and it's because that's why we go to the social net, you know, because we're looking for a little endorphin shot. Yeah. Um, and, um, and yeah, that that's built. Uh, and I think, you know, there's a lot of people who are kind of tuning completely uh, away from it. So again, it's kind of that, that bipolar, you know, you're, yeah. um, you're either all in or all out. You know, one of my favorite 
philosopher is Alan Watts. He's got this cool lectures that he talks about, and he talks about the difference between the East and the West. And one of the funny things he says is, in the West, if you go into the center of town and you tell people, I'm God, they might arrest you or take you to like a funny farm. But in the East, if you go to town, you say, listen, I'm God. They say, congratulations, you figured it out. And I'm wondering, you as a builder, as someone who has kind of bridged that gap and, and moved in between these two different cultures, how do you use what you've learned in these different cultures to build and work in some of these communities that you're going to? Yeah. Um, so, again, going back to something I, I said earlier, um, I, I truly believe that in every action I take, developing micro stories, reaching out to someone, deciding if I want to speak or showcase that person, that project or not. It's always like, okay, you know, um, am I adding value? You know, um, if I'm sharing knowledge, am I actually sharing knowledge that adds value or am I looking for attention? Mm -hmm. And then I'm actually taking something from you instead right. of giving something to you. And I think um, Yuval Noah Harari, uh, the writer of Sapiens, said uh, the, 21st, the 20th century was the year, was the century where knowledge was power. Um, the 21st century, it's all about clarity. Do you have the capacity to sift through that giant pool of knowledge? Because actually knowledge is not power in the 21st century. Knowledge is mind-numbing. Knowledge yeah, is, so it's, it's blinding. And so do you have the time, this, the headspace to be able to discern and focus on the right knowledge, what adds value? And you'll see in everything that I might have published yeah. on micostories.com, there's always a work of research. There's always um, a certain intention which goes beyond, um, you know, going for the viral video because I know that's what's going to drive engagement. And sure, I need to, um, I guess, sacrifice a little bit of that growth. But um, again, it's kind of like the guiding principle, things you don't want to stray away from. And yeah. so... Um, I guess it's what's driving a lot of the interactions that I that I meet as well. I try and meet with people that I feel at least, you know, you easily get a sense of uh, someone's righteousness or yep. someone's energy uh, yep. after even exchanging a few emails or after 20 seconds on the call. Like you're like, OK, I think this <laughs> I think that's a good egg. Um, yep. and, uh, yeah, I think that's, I'm, I'm really using, I guess, the experience of having worked in a variety of places, traveled, um, in a number of countries, uh, both in, you know, big business and tiny microfinance, uh, NGOs in Uganda, you know, so, and, uh, all this <laughs> helps to, you know, bring a certain social wisdom um, that I hope I can leverage for the greater good of the people who are engaging with micro stories. Yeah. I'm excited for it. I, I really think that we find ourselves on the 
on the forefront of change right now. Sometimes I look at the, there's a great book called The Fourth Turning. And in that book, they speak about the different generations and, and how the generations affect the following generation. And, you know, it's interesting to see that a lot of the people that are in leadership positions are moving on to the next level, whatever that level is, you know, and the ideas are being handed down on somewhat. And I think with my co-stories and a lot of these new technologies that are being ready to be born, there's a real opportunity to change the future for a long period of time. Are you, are you positive on that change? Do you see that, that forefront of change as well? Or how, how do you see that shaping up? Yeah. I mean, first of all, I love the idea of um, slightly flatter organ organizational structures okay. where everyone has more agency. Um, okay. You know, if you are, uh, if employees were all, the primary stakeholders yes. uh, yep. and the primary shareholders of their company, I can tell you companies wouldn't be managed the way they, they're managed. Um, you know, and best example is, you know, being in Japan, this is the Japanese Kaizen, the organizational structure where, um, you know, they, they might not be the more, the most productive uh, in this year, but they're planning for the next 10 years. Right. Um, and so that, you know, some people debate about, you know, um, whether it, it increases, uh, it decreases productivity to, to operate like this, but you know, it's a, it's an interesting, uh, Eastern, Eastern capitalism, if you, yeah. if you may. Um, and so, yeah, so I believe in, you know, giving more ownership to the employees of a company, having flatter organizational structures. Um, and this will inherently lead to, I think, better ways of doing business. Uh, and through these better ways of doing business, hopefully you have more fulfilled employees. You have a community that takes a bigger role in the strategic decision-making of the higher echelons of the of the company um yeah and then um yeah and then hopefully you also have uh, a variety of third-party organizations that are network builders like micro stories that are <laughs> you know helping yeah. to also lay the foundations for these companies to thrive through you know broader awareness um access to contacts and the investments uh, that these these companies might need to succeed um, when you put um, impact at the same level of profit um, you know some investors might see this as um, you know slower return on their investment um, and so you know we need to try and and strike a balance where um, sure in your portfolio you you, you do have a lot of pure for profit but you know maybe dial that needle up on the impact a bit more yeah. you know like uh and actually if you have a life that focuses on fulfillment through intangible means maybe you don't need to have 10 percent, and you're happy with seven you know <laughs> um but that's not the way uh you know most investment strategies work today and uh you know i'm sure a lot of investors won't won't want to talk to me after after uh, saying this but you know it's it's how i believe there's a lot of people out there who believe the same way um and uh i think it's the only only way we're really gonna 
um, change things, stop, stop looking at our belly buttons and, uh, and uh, move, move, move forward without keeping on stepping on our, our toes. And that's it for the metaphors for today. Uh, <laughs> I love it, man. It's, you know, maybe we just need to read, maybe people just need to redefine what investment means. Maybe investment is more than a monetary return. Maybe investment is having a better future for our kids or getting to see an ecosystem evolve and be part of that. Like now we're talking about a real legacy, putting something in place that will sustain someone for a lifetime. That's a legacy, man. Like I don't, you, the yacht I'm sure is awesome. I don't know, but it seems like a yacht might be pretty awesome to have, but mm. might it be better to, have stories told about you for generations about how you started something like that. That sounds like a little bit better legacy to me, right? What do you Definitely. think about when you think about legacy? Um, you know what? I try, I try not to think about Good. it because I think <laughs> it's, um, I think it's, it's potentially parasitic to think too much about your, yeah. your legacy, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I try to focus on what I do in the very you know in my day am i doing something yep. that feels right or wrong um and then if through that i have a, a great legacy then then great um i do think uh, probably at least once a week uh at myself in the rocking chair when i'm 90s year and, and 90 <laughs> years old and uh you know that's that's kind of what i think and i'm like okay um are you, you know, no regrets? Are you proud of what you've you've done with all that that time on this planet? And you know, that's that's it. Yeah, I love that. Sometimes I, I speak to a lot of different people that find themselves, you know, investigating the world of mental illness or mental wellness and and mushrooms in the medical container. It's interesting to see how that might be helping us solve problems with addictions. Do you have any thoughts on on? on the idea of psilocybin in, in this medical container? Psilocybin in the medical, so you mean psilocybin in clinical conditions for super? Yep. Yeah, versus maybe the traditional model. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm all for it. Um, to be fair, I've, I probably have more examples of people who have been unable to take the right dose and just gone way too much yeah. and just be like, oh, this is not for me. Or, um, and, and that not only with uh, psychedelics, but with cannabis as well. Yeah. And so I believe that, um, you know, if, if we want to give a new reputation to psychedelics and to mushrooms and to their healing um capacities it needs to come from a you know a, a medical background and um and i think you know think of uh my mother directly yeah. you know who's got uh, some some depression issues like you know she's now considering it because you know i've been telling her no it's medical research <laughs> you know it's getting approved in this state and that country um and uh, and only this will kind of give her the trust that okay I'll give it a shot and because it's going to be in a clinical yeah. context hopefully not entirely for profit uh, so you know there might need to be some I know the U.S. hates that but we might need to regulate this a little bit you know put a little uh, healthcare government mm -hmm. um, intervention here 
um, you know, that's, that, that's, is what is going to help my mother and the many other who suffer from depression or other mental health diseases. And, um, and if you, if you only stay on the spiritual, mm -hmm. the, you know, the way mushrooms have been revered to and embraced by the fringes of society, uh, I think you're unfortunately um, going to prevent a lot of people who could benefit from it if it was a bit more institutionalized, but mm -hmm. who still have the fear of like, oh, I don't want the magic. <laughs> I can't handle the magic. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I There's a saying that says, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And maybe that teacher mm -hmm. for everybody is different, right? Maybe that teacher is in a is in a clinical setting for some for some students. And maybe that teacher is in a ceremonial setting for some students in different communities. And yeah. I'm real I'm I'm what do you think so far has been the best part about starting Myco Stories? The best part about Myco Stories has been uh, one my own deeper understanding of ecosystems wow. um, and the real natural ones. Uh, mm -hmm. I didn't, you know, I don't have a scientific background, so I'm just reading heaps on, you know, how a forest works and um, how uh, your intestine works. Yeah. And, um, and I think that's been really fascinating delving in the world of the micro. Yeah. You know, for someone who's never been a researcher or a, science, a biologist, like there is a world on my on my arm. <laughs> um, so I've really enjoyed that. And then it's, uh, you know, the sheer amount of incredible conversations and meetups that I've yeah. had the pleasure of doing um, and uh, what that has brought me and seeing that, you know, again, um, uh, through... Uh, ancient organic yeah um living being um people all over the world uh reunite and celebrate it and innovate with it and uh you know i get uh contacted by people who are developing mushroom farms in nigeria who are developing uh microdosing supplements in taiwan uh developing uh, alternative uh, mushroom-based leather in Mexico. I mean, yeah. it's, you know, and it's happening all over. So, you know, but uh, but they've been unsung for way too long. So I'm here to, you know, um, uh, praise them as much as I can um, and, um, and help their greater, greater development in, uh, in our society. I love it. I... I... There's something to be said about shining a light on the positive aspects of community and the way that helps us grow. Maybe not only grow, but gives us <clears throat> a model to look at. It seems like there's so much goodness out there. What I didn't even know about these leather farms in Mexico or yeah. you know the blow up in Nigeria. It's interesting. Like what? So we've got we've got the leather farms in Mexico. What are some other unique ideas that you've heard about recently since you've begun on this pathway? Yeah. Um... There's some really interesting work being done um, in the University of Northampton, the University okay. of Bristol as well in, uh, in the UK, where Dr. Andrew Adamaski um, 
who works at the unconventional computing lab. Um, he's working on effectively using fungi uh, to replace uh, motherboards for computers. Whoa. Um, so effectively trying to use the conductive characteristics of certain fungi um, to, yeah, try and, again, uh, not necessarily replace, but potentially augment yeah. uh, or create a new type of um, computing engine. Um, so that's one example. There's uh, many more of them. Uh, you can all check them out, read them uh, on your on your bedtime um, on microstories.com on socials and uh, and on the web. It's fascinating to me. I, Mark, I'm so stoked on your time, man. And I really love talking to you. And I hope everybody listening to this goes and checks out Michael Stories because it's like a encyclopedia of awesomeness where you can go in there and find what, hey, I like artists. I'm going to go look at Dennis Walker. I'm going to go look at this guy over here. I'm going to go look at this, mm -hmm. you know? So nice. I think it's a really great foundation for people to go and reach out to you. And I'm, I'm thankful. And I know a lot of people in this community are thankful for having someone shine a light on all the things that are happening. And I think the more we work together, all of us in this community, the more we can promise a better tomorrow for the next generation. And there's a lot of promise out there, man. And everybody can be part of it, right? Anybody who has an idea can be part of the team. They just got to go over to Michael's stories and start finding their way through there. Does that sound Definitely. accurate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you mentioned Dennis Walker, good friend of mine. So shout out to him. Uh, yep. Go check out uh, Micropreneur as well. Great compliment to the content I've been putting online. How funny that, that guy! I, I probably cried a hundred times watching that guy. It's like everyone is the best one. Everyone gets better. I don't know how he does yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, it's epic. <laughs> well, it was amazing speaking to you, yep. George. Really appreciate it. Um, and uh, let's uh, let's reconnect for for round two in the next couple of uh, months or years, man. Guaranteed in the next few months. And if you find yourself out here, I'll reach out to you, but. Before I let you go, though, where is the best place people can find you? Can you give the name of the site again? And what do you got coming up? Yeah, so mycostories.com. Uh, mycostories on LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok. Um, and reach out to me on LinkedIn is probably the best. Uh, Mark Violo. And, um, and what's next? Uh, nine more months of travel um, and working on some cool projects along the way and trying to grind this all down for all the fungi enthusiasts across the across the globe all right well hang on briefly afterwards i'll talk to you real briefly afterwards but ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for your time today i hope you have a beautiful day i hope the sun is shining and i hope that you know something great's about to happen to you trust me it is that's all we got for today aloha all right aloha everyone Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge, and I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now. 
and it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.